This episode of Angular Air is sponsored by Auth0, authentication made simple for developers. Modern authentication and identity can be hard, but Auth0 makes it easy. With Auth0, you can enable login with any social provider, have multi-factor authentication, single sign-on, and passwordless login all at the flip of a switch. Find out how to add authentication to your Angular 1 or 2 app in under 10 minutes at Auth0.com forward slash Angular. Hello and welcome to Angular Air. I am your host, Jeff Welkley, and I'm here today with panelist Patrick Stapleton. Hi, yes. And Ed Conley. Hey, everybody. And our special guest today for an all-out extravaganza on testing with JavaScript, especially with Angular, especially with Angular 2 in particular, is Julie Ralph. Hey, everybody. Julie, for people that might not know who you are, you want to give a little bit about your background and how you got uh, involved working with Parma and Protractor and testing and everything else that you're involved with now. Yeah, sure. So um, I'm a software engineer at Google. I work up in the Seattle office. And I was working on one of the early internal Google projects that started using Angular back in Angular JS 0.9 days. Um, and I got interested in the end-to-end -end testing infrastructure and wanted to see if I could make some improvements to that. At that point, it was this NG scenario business that didn't have a lot of support. So I went and asked the team if I could work on it, and I've been working on Angular testing ever since then. So I guess the most important question to start off with is regarding testing is Jasmine or Mocha? <laughs> Um, so, so we try to leave it open to anyone to do whatever they want. Um, I, for Projector, we support both. For Angular 2 right now, we're going to be focusing on that today, uh, we have built-in support for Jasmine. That is not there for Mocha yet. We're still in beta, still in the process of refining everything we need, so we decided to just focus on one framework for now. Uh, but that said, we are in the process of splitting out all of the bits that are specific to Jasmine and keeping them in their own file so that it would be really easy to also do that for Mocha or any other similar test framework. Okay, so let's take a step back and just try to get a lay of the land of the testing environment um, of the different tools and libraries and everything else. I mean, there's a million different things going on. So maybe let's start off with I'm creating an Angular 2 app because we're going to focus on Angular 2. We'll talk a little bit about Angular 1 as well um, during the show today. But I'm starting off with the Angular 2 app. What are the things involved with testing that app? Sure. So the general structure for an Angular 1 or Angular 2 app is you're going to have some sort of unit tests and some sort of end-to-end -end tests. And we tried to share as much philosophy between Angular 1 and Angular 2 as possible. So if you've been doing testing with Angular 1, it should look fairly similar. So we'll recommend that you use Karma to run your unit tests, um, probably using Jasmine or Mocha, but there would be adapters for some other frameworks if you really like one of those and are able to do a little bit more work. Um, so that'll be your unit tests. That'll give you fast test running whenever you save files. So you get really fast feedback. And then for end-to-end -end tests, Protractor works for Angular 2 as well as Angular 1. So that would be for larger tests that simulate user interaction, maybe go through larger workflows on your page. Those will take a little longer to run, but they'll be able to verify that everything is working together. 
and you can use a real backend or a fake backend for those, depending on what you need for your environment. We're going to take a quick break to hear about ThoughtRam. ThoughtRam. Extend your memory. Want to get up and running with the Angular framework, but don't have the time to read through all the documentation and tutorials on the internet? ThoughtRam's Angular Masterclass may be perfect for you. Check it out today at thoughtram.io forward slash training. Welcome back. Let's pick it up where we left off. So what's changed with the latest version of Karma and Protractor, in particular with using it with Angular 2? I, I think most of the people who are listening may have some level of experience using it with Angular 1. So is there any differences, or is it pretty much the same, just works with the new framework? So for Karma, the biggest difference is going to be related to how you're choosing to actually write your app in terms of language. So if you're using ECMAScript 6 or TypeScript, how you're packaging those, you'll have to have some shims for Karma. The tests themselves are probably going to look fairly similar, but depending on whether you want to use System.js, Webpack, etc., you're going to have to have some sort of shimming code around that to make it work with Karma. We're still kind of figuring out exactly what the recommendations are going to be. Um, there's a the Angular CLI project has some good starter material that'll that will get you set up with one sort of default um, testing setup. I believe that's using System.js right now, um, and it has a shim for Karma that loads that. Uh, that works well, but different people are going to want to use different things, um, and so we will have various recommendations for any setup that you might be interested in. Um, but but that's the big difference. Your actual test running will work very similar to the way that it works in Angular 1. Um, for Projector, it will depend slightly on if you have multiple Angular 2 applications in your page. The only thing that changes from a configuration point of view for Projector is this one extra config option that's called Use All Angular 2 Roots. And basically what that says is instead of in Protractor for Angular 1, you could pass in one root element and say, this is where my ng app is, right? And then Protractor would know to look within that when it's trying to do finding elements, doing logic for, for figuring out where to wait for your tests. Um, with this use all Angular 2 roots, it will ask the page, hey, give me a list of every single Angular 2 application that's on this page. And then it'll just wait for all of them or search within all of them. Uh, so that's really the only difference. You can still pass just one element if you only have one Angular 2 application on your page, and everything should, should work um, similarly. One caveat is that in Protractor for Angular 1, you could use these by bindings or by models to find elements based on their binding info and, and what model they were. And those concepts have changed slightly in Angular 2, and we're still working out exactly what that's going to mean for end-to-end -end tests. Uh, we will have some notion of it. I was actually working on that yesterday, um, pending some changes in the compiler and, and making sure that things make sense in a world where you could do pre-compilation for your templates and have post-compilation. We're going to break for a moment for a message from Angular class. This episode of Angular Air is sponsored by Angular Class. If you're looking to learn the latest and greatest in modern web development techniques, or you need Angular 2 training, then sign up today at angularclass.com. Welcome back. Let's pick it up where we left off. So 
going back to one point, I, I mean, I actually have like three or four different questions on what you uh, were just talking about. Sure. As far as the build process goes, generally speaking, is it something where you expect when you're running your tests that it's being transpiled, so you're running the test over the transpiled code? I mean, you mentioned you know some different system.js type configurations and that type of thing. Mm -hmm. um, can you maybe get into a little bit of, of how exactly that would work just so kind of people can wrap their minds around it? Sure. So uh, this, this may change, but my favorite setup right now has been... Um, in, in the past, we kind of had Karma in this world where it kept having expanding plugins for Karma that would do more and more. And so, um, for example, if you were using Dart, you would have a Karma plugin that would do the... it would watch the Dart files and do the compilation for you. Um, and that got a little bit messy. And so what Angular is using right now for their own tests and what I like is separating those concerns. So when you run tests, you'll have some sort of file watcher, because we want to be able to run tests when you save your files, right? sort of the, the basic. So you'll have some sort of um, watcher for your source files that the developer is actually writing that will take care of the compilation. And then Karma will be set up to just watch your, your builds or distribution repository where your actual JavaScript ends up. Um, so if everything works smoothly there, when you save a file, it gets compiled, compiled file gets updated, Karma sees that, and immediately runs. And so from the developer's point of view, it's the same I save and my tests run. Um, but Karma doesn't have to know about every single possible way that a developer could be writing a file that could be compiled to JavaScript somehow. Um, so I think that's a lot more encapsulated and a lot cleaner. It requires a little bit more setup to make sure that that whole pipeline is running together. But I think that with tools like the Angular CLI tool um, and, and pipeline tools like Gulp and Broccoli, um, that we'll, we'll get some good default setups for this. And then, and then you mentioned system.js. So the, the method that we have right now is we have a shim file that Karma loads that basically takes care of the module loading bits. So it does a one-time test setup that's required for Angular 2's testing framework, and then just loads in all of your test files and runs them using system import. I think I saw that you did have a starter project out there, right? So does that have some of the things that you mentioned, or are these more things that are possible, but um, there's no kind of thing that people can point to? So there's a couple of starter projects out there. Um, one that I, I did write is the uh, ng2 test seed. Um, I have made a promise that I will update this today. It is woefully out of date <laughs> right now uh, in the Angular version that it is. Um, <laughs> but it is, it is peer review season at Google, which means that I need to procrastinate, which means that I will be updating it very, very soon uh, until I absolutely can't put off peer reviews anymore. Um, so I promise that that will be done very soon. Um, in the meantime, I think the best place to look for examples is uh, Angular CLI project. If you just open up, start a blank new project that comes with unit tests immediately baked in, and that's using the um, system.js loading and shim, and that's all correctly set up. Uh, another good project to look at would be the Angular Material, uh, Material 2 repository which has a slightly different but same concept um, set up for Karma. And then are there any changes to the API itself? So if I'm writing Karma tests, for example, 
are there any like new APIs that make things nicer that were causing maybe problems yeah. before or anything like that? Yeah, absolutely. So we have, um, as I mentioned, the test is fairly well integrated with Jasmine at this point. So when you use a Jasmine it block, you can, inside of that, use a function called inject. And that'll let you get a hold of the Angular 2 injector that you've set up, uh, and you can add providers for that. So you can actually get an instance of a class, um, an instance of a component, using whatever dependencies you would have in your application. Um, so that, that's the inject function. And then another big API that we have in the Angular 2 testbed is called the test component builder. So if you're testing a service or class, basically all you need to do is use the injector to get a hold of it and then run whatever functions you would, just kind of a, a plain old vanilla um, JavaScript test. For a component, you probably want to in some way actually compile that component. You might want to override its template. You might want to override some dependencies or something. So this is what the test component builder does for you. The test component builder is a service. You can inject it, and then you pass it a component type, tell it what you want to override, and it'll give you back a test fixture. And on that test fixture, you can get a hold of the native elements. You can do change detection. You can do some sort of inspection in terms of getting the actual component instance that tied to that element. So you could, for example, change a property on the instance and make sure that that's reflected. Um, in the native elements that are that are generated there. That's the bulk of the API that we will have. Uh, one more thing that I want to mention that is coming really soon is we've been working on asynchronous and synchronous test management. And this is something that a lot of frameworks have done in different ways. Um, you may, so if you're using Jasmine or Mocha, you usually either do this by returning a promise from a test that's asynchronous or by having a done callback somewhere in your test. And we think we can do a lot better using zones. So um, for those who aren't familiar with zones, zones is an asynchronous event management system um, that there's concepts of this in Dart. Angular has written JavaScript context. Brian Ford gave a talk on this a couple ng-confs ago. Um, that's a really good introduction. And we would like to be able to use these to just automatically detect when your test finishes. So you will have a, a test. You'll tell it, hey, this is an asynchronous test with one wrapper function. And then the new zone will be created for the test. It will automatically detect when every asynchronous call has wrapped up and end your test for you. So those are coming really soon. We have a new version of zones that was just released that will enable this to actually work in Angular 2. So hopefully by the next week or two, this will be coming. Does that mean you don't have to wrap the, the it describes in the other like Jasmine patch helpers when you use uh, Zone.js? You will have to wrap it in. So you so your your actual syntax will look like it description, and then you will have to tell us that the test is async, so we don't treat every test like it has to okay. run in its own zone. So the current API is probably that we'll have some sort of wrapper that'll just be async, and then you'll pass in the function. Ah, uh, you know. I, I mean, I've written uh, some Karma tests with Angular 2, but I never, I didn't think about it in terms of some of the stuff that you just laid out, and actually that is pretty, really amazing. 
the idea of using zones in the way you're describing, because that's one of the biggest pains with testing. I found one of the <laughs> many, I guess, uh, is dealing with async. And you, you, know, you forget to return a promise, whatever else. And that's just, uh, yeah, I didn't think about that, but that is uh, pretty awesome. And then also, um, I mean, it was sort of along the same lines. It seems like some of the improvements with testing with Angular 2 is due to, like, stuff within the Angular 2 core itself, like, so zones being part of those, but also, like, DI. Like, so can you talk a little bit about how, and you did it a little, a little bit, but um, it seems like to me that the new DI system has helped make some of the testing easier because it's just easier to um, mock out things, you know, switch out dependencies, et cetera, right? Yeah, so one of the, um, the big things that I'm excited about in the new DI system is Angular has this concept of um, sort of uh, provider barrels that are set up for you. So most web developers will just be using the browser barrel, which is um, a set of default dependencies that'll work for a browser, but Angular 2 wants to be able to run in a web worker, on native, etc. So right now, we have a set of default test bindings that work in the browser, and there's this one little global setup function that um, you have to call that's set my base test providers for all tests. And we think we have a pretty good default for those right now. Um, and then you can use a before each to add providers for whatever you would need for your specific application. Um, so yeah, the, the DI is more flexible, um, better set up for different platforms with those, those barrels. And this will let us do things like um, if you want to test just running with Node and no browser, it'll be a lot easier to set up test providers that'll work with that. So, so going back to, to Zone.js, uh, you mentioned that we're able to uh, soon be able to essentially figure out like when asynchronous calls are happening and then uh, tell when the, the test is done. Um, now, with your your work on, on Protractor, uh, one of the I guess one of the gotchas that people would have is that like in Protractor everything is kind of like a promise, and you resolve the promise inside the expect. Um, so it makes the code look kind of synchronous. Um, do you think that, or are you working on uh, a zone implementation for for Protractor as well um, to keep track of all the asynchronous calls there? Yeah. So um, for for your test code itself, we're not doing that yet. Um, because we still, even with the automatic tracking of asynchronous code, that doesn't yet let us automatically queue asynchronous events so that they're running one at a time, which is what um, the end-to-end -end test requires. Basically, it needs you to be a, a single-threaded asynchronous runner. Um, that might be possible to do with zones. We haven't really explored that yet. We are really excited for ECMAScript 7 async and await to come out, because I think that'll make the syntax a lot, lot, lot better. Um, but that's slightly different. Uh, but we are using zones from Angular side. So if you're running a protractor test against Angular 2, when it asks Angular to report back when the whole application is stable, Angular is using zones um, on its side to determine when it has reached stability, which is going to be a much more accurate method than Angular 1's method, which was basically it kept track of a couple counters that it would decrement and decrement when you did things like XHR requests. So this will work a lot better for um, things that are running outside of Angular, 
um, the developer will be able to control what Angular waits for based on whether they're running something inside Angular zone or outside of the Angular zone. So we'll have more flexibility there. You mentioned one thing about running the server-side tests, and actually that was one thing I was going to ask about later. You know, basically that you know I've I found that if you can run a test on the server side, generally it's better to do that than through the browser. I mean, you obviously need to just to like validate that it works with different browser versions and that type of thing. But just for your as you're developing type of thing, right? Because it's faster and you don't need to um, have like the the actual browser spun up and, and that type of thing. But I'm curious whether you know, so you were saying that it was still a Karma running the tests, even though it's on the server side, because I usually run those just with like Jasmine or whatever, like outside of Karma. Um, so you would still run them, have Karma as the test runner, even if it's running on the server side. I, I would run those direct with, um, okay. yeah, just with Node and Jasmine probably, or Mocha. Okay. So I, 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 that leads into this other question that I had with um, the different types of tests. So like, if you have a web app. I, this is my experience from like when I was actually trying to have a lot of test coverage in like at different levels. Uh, I noticed that it can get crazy, right? Like you, you know, you can have, I mean, so server-side unit tests, server-side integration tests, end-to-end tests at the API level, at the web server level, at the you know web client like browser level. Um, you know, once JavaScript's loaded. Uh, then obviously the unit tests through Karma on the browser, and then integration tests through Karma, Protractor for the end-to-end. So, like, um, just in terms of strategy, what what do you recommend to people who want to do testing? Which uh, we'll talk about the motivations and, and that type of thing in, in a minute as well. But like, let's let's assume that people want to do testing, or they're, they're told, forced to, or whatever. Uh, you know, what strategies would you recommend people take? Yeah, so um, so this is kind of philosophical uh, for the team, and <laughs> I think a lot of it depends on uh, what you're trying to achieve with your tests, like what, what you're worried about, and that's a really good question. So I think everyone needs unit tests for everything, and that should be your basis of testing your actual business logic and documenting your functions um, through testing. So I would I would definitely say strong set of unit tests for basically any class that you have in the front end or the back end. Um, and then with integration tests, it gets tricky because you could probably integration test all permutations of, of any sort of blocks of code that you have. Um, and so I, so, so my, my philosophy is if you can run a end-to-end test that actually includes all of your application and uses all of your dependencies, and just make sure that it all runs together and that test will run reasonably quickly and reasonably stable without too many flakes because of, of some sort of dependencies flaking out for some reason. Um, if you can do that, that's great because then you can verify that your whole environment actually runs. Um, the reason not to do that and to start splitting into smaller subsets of all of your pieces working together would be that those are too slow for some reason or too unstable. Um, so that depends on your test um, and depends on your entire application setup. I think another good guiding principle is test however you, whatever your development environment looks like. So a lot of the time when people have trouble setting up their test servers for some reason, they also have trouble setting up a dev environment 
that works well. So they might have a bunch of dev environments sharing like one big database or something, and that is hard for the tests because they can't rely on the database to look a certain way or have a certain set of, of hydrated test data. Um, so I like to think about the setup for those as all one big piece of developer productivity is make sure that you have a good environment both for dev work and for testing. So totally agree to focus on unit tests. Like those are most stable and obviously uh, portable and that type of thing. But as you kind of alluded to, you know, as you start to move up the chain, integration tests, and then it's more like flighty. One thing I've noticed in particular is uh, data, you know, like in particular, like managing data with regards to tests. So do you have any recommendations on that in particular? Like I've seen a lot of different things in terms of you know, people having, like spinning up test C databases or, you know, something along those lines. You know, what would you recommend, uh, you know, for managing data with integration tests and end-to-end tests? Sure. So I think um, either having a, a sort of reliable set of test seed data that you use that's either um, generated from real data that's stripped clean of any information you don't want is probable probably the ideal, because then you have, you know, kind of a, a set of something that actually looks like what you would be working with and you'll catch more corner cases, um, or something generated, I think would usually be my ideal. Um, one thing that I have seen is if you're, you're doing an end-to-end -end test and you're testing from the front end, it's often helpful to have a way to set up your test data that's not actually creating it all as a user would because you're wasting a lot of time testing a workflow that you've already tested, maybe. Um, so I've seen projects internally that have been very successful having a separate HTTP API that will set up test data for them. And they call that from their end-to-end -end tests, but not via going through and simulating as a user, just by making an HTTP call from Node to set up stuff, and then test what they're actually interested in instead of having this huge test workflow that touches a lot of things that they're not really trying to validate. Would that flow, maybe I'm, I'm not sure if I'm understanding it correctly, but would that flow generate the same data every time, or would it be like kind of randomized? Like the ones that I've seen are doing the same data every time. Um, randomized is interesting. I think you have to be a little bit more careful with that because you don't want to have tests that, that flake and fail for confusing reasons. Um, it's already really hard to debug end-to-end -end tests, and so as much as you can minimize some developer looking at this and not understanding like why it randomly flaked this time because your your random data was different. Yeah, I guess I'm thinking of the stuff that like Netflix does. Which uh, Patrick, do you remember the, what the name of that is? The uh, crazy. Uh... The crazy the monkey pat the crazy <laughs> monkey thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so do you yeah, guys use that uh, something like that, Julie? In, within Google? So, I, I'm, if I'm recalling correctly, I think what they do is they have a bot that'll basically just try to click on stuff and until your your app 505s. Is that what this is? Yeah, something like that. Chaos Monkey. Thanks, Patrick. Yeah, Chaos Monkey. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I believe it just tries to break your app, basically. <laughs> yeah, um, I think that that is sort of yet another type of testing. So, I wouldn't call that end to end testing. I would call that more into like stress testing world. Um, I think it can be really valuable because. Um, I'm pretty sure that you could break almost every website by going and, and clicking around <laughs> until you can manage to do something crazy. And I think that's that's valuable to know. Um, but that's certainly not something that I would want to 
be like running on every commit. Um, right? That would be more of a like pre-release. Okay, let's let's do a cleanup and see what we can break. There are some libraries out there for Java that will modify your source code and assert that your tests now fail. So it's kind of like a similar kind of like it destroys your source code and makes sure your tests are actually testing the cases that you think it actually is. Yeah, yeah, I really like those. Um, I've heard that called mutation testing a lot, yeah. and it'll do things like like change the strings or numbers that you're expecting, or yeah. like go into your code and change a plus to a minus and make sure that a test actually fails um, when that happens. I think that's really valuable. And, and kind of related, one thing that I do when I'm writing tests is I always um, write my expectations wrong um, at the start. So if I'm expecting a string to equal hello, I'll just say hello and then like write a bunch of X's at the end and make sure that I get a scene failure case. Um, and then at the end, go in and, and clean up all the expectations so that they're the right thing. And I think that that's really helpful for when you're writing tests, making sure that your tests actually fail, making sure that when your tests do fail, you have like a stack trace that looks like the right thing. Um, so I, I highly recommend that method of, of writing tests. I think particularly for asynchronous tests as well, where you're kind of not sure if the test is actually going to execute the expectation case, that's really, really important that it fails first. Absolutely. You know, I, I found it hard, though, to, yes, to create a failing test first, totally agree with that, but there is some people tout the philosophy of, like, test first, like, before you even write your code. And, well, that works sometimes if, like, your system is mature or, like, totally spec'd out. Like, I found that it's really difficult to do that when you're... I mean, like, I'm a developer starting to get figure out how to make this work, and I don't even know how to make it work. I'm just writing code hacking away. So I, I found, for myself personally, that I usually just not even worry about tests at first, just, like, get something hacky working... And then once it, like, is, is at least somewhat working, then, you know, add the failing tests, you know, add, add that kind of stabilization. Do you, do you have any other recommendations along those, those lines um, for people to get started? Uh, I think, um, like you said, the most helpful time to be writing tests first is if you, I think, like, if you're writing a new service inside a larger application that already has its sort of base scaffolding. Um, but... I don't think it makes much sense to write tests first when you don't have that first scaffolding of what your application's even going to do. Um, but I found it really helpful for if I kind of, I have a pretty good idea of what I want like a service to do, but I don't know exactly the API yet. Um, if you write tests first, that can help you think, what would a user want the API to look like? Because um, that's what your tests are, are, are looking like as well. Um, so I, I do really like test-driven development for that stage of a project. Yeah, it makes sense. So let's talk a little bit about motivation and sort of instilling the discipline of testing that, you know, let's say that at some level in your organization, there's at least some people who, you know, buy in, that, they, that uh, it's, it's important, they understand the importance and that type of thing. But it's one thing to say that, but I found it quite difficult in many different situations to actually get developers who aren't used to being test-focused uh, to actually get into that mindset and to keep it going and to kind of like, um, you know, on an ongoing basis and just have it as part of what they do. So how have you seen, and I know Google has is like very good about uh, hiring developers 
developers that are that of that mindset. So I don't even know if you guys have this problem per se, but do you have any kind of recommendations of like how a team can build this type of discipline and kind of maintain it over time? Sure. So I think the first thing is that our tools need to make it as painless as possible to test, which is something that Angular tries really hard to do, right? We have um, tests in the seed setups. We'll have tests in, like, just automatically included. When you use Angular CLI to generate a project, you'll have test files. And we want to have test runners that run quickly and, and give you useful feedback. And I think if you get used to being able to save your files and see test results a couple seconds later, um, then that becomes a really helpful part of your development workflow. And so I think if, if we can build tools that make that a pleasant experience, then devs will be more likely to do it. So that's step one. Um, and then for teams that, that are actually would like to have a stronger uh, test culture, one of the things that we do at Google is um, require tests and code reviews, basically. So uh, usually a code reviewer won't even look at your stuff until you've got unit tests, um, and no way you're getting it checked in until you've added tests, and that's just that's just an absolute, like, there's there's hardly anything that would make you get around that. Um, and and if you've ever submitted a pull request to an Angular repository, you've probably seen this as well. Like, if you, if you don't have tests, you'll just get a response that's like, add some tests and then we'll take a look at this. Um, and I've even, I've heard from Igor and I like doing this myself, when I look at a pull request from anyone, basically, um, I read the commit message to see what it's doing, and then I read the tests to see what it's trying to fix or adding, and then I actually go and look at the code that they've changed. And that's really helpful to understand what outcome they're actually trying to achieve as opposed to how they're doing it from the beginning. So um, requiring unit tests and code reviews is really helpful. There's other metrics that you could do, like looking at code coverage is a kind of popular one that has some sort of questionable use. Um, code coverage, I think, is a is a good number to look at how it's changing. Um, so you could have a red flag if, you know, before your change we had 80% code coverage and after your change we're down to 70%. That means your change probably not so great. Um, I think chasing 100% coverage is uh, has rapidly diminishing returns and is probably not very practical. But that's, that's a sort of useful metric that you can have as a graph. Cool. And... What about, uh, you know, there's, there's kind of two different, uh, like doing, and I don't know if this matters at all, but the um, BDD versus TDD versus, like, th those types of things. Do you, do you have a personal preference that, or something that you, you, or just a matter, just make sure you keep it consistent? Um, so I, I don't see a whole ton of difference between BDD and TDD. Maybe someone could, <laughs> um, you know, tell me if they see more of a difference, but... Uh, I, I, the main idea behind them is know what you're gonna think about what you're writing and, and what the API looks like before you actually write it. Um, make sure that your tests are actually testing. You know, your tests can actually fail. Make sure that your tests are actually testing your code. Um, I think that's kind of the same philosophy for both of them. Um, I find it helpful. I don't think it's helpful to be super strict about it. Like I've I've seen some TDD philosophies that are like you must have a test and it must you know you can't write any code before you write a new test and I, I think that's an interesting exercise to do. And we actually we have this course um, at Google that's called Code Retreat where you basically write one program over and over again throughout the course of the day with different restrictions. And one of the restrictions will be something like 
you're working with a partner, and your partner writes a test, and then they pass the computer to you, and you have to work to make the test pass. And you can do variations of that with, like, the lazy programmer who will only make one test pass as easily as possible, and, and that's a really fun exercise to do, and I think very beneficial. Probably not something you want to be doing every day in your actual coding. Yeah, it's kind of a cool one. I didn't think about that one before. Ed, did you have a question? Um, uh, back on the kind of BDD, TDD topic, what's the kind of state of play with Protractor and Cucumber.js and integrations there? Um, not great. <laughs> so we, um, Cucumber.js has been a sort of community-supported aspect of Protractor for a while, um, and we were kind of lying about that by having it actually in the repository. So we split it off into a separate repo um, that is, I believe, Protractor-Cucumber, so that it is now actually community-supported and can get faster response time and faster updates there. Um, I have conflicted feelings about Cucumber, which Ed and I have talked about before. Um, I think it's there's been a lot of attempts to have these testing frameworks that look more like like a just script that you would write, which has some benefits in terms of you can you can show a test like that to someone who's maybe not so technical, and it'll look more like something that they can read and understand. On the other hand, you have these other levels of infrastructure that you're maintaining, and at the end of the day, it's code, and someone's going to have to debug it when something goes wrong, and I'm not don't know how much it, it complicates stuff as opposed to making it more simple to actually use. Um, and I think that that's a personal decision for teams. So we're really hoping that it will continue to go strong. I think that it is better for everyone now that it is split off from the main repository and, and can actually be community supported as opposed to waiting for us and kind of pretending to be in the main repo. Cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually agree with you completely that if you're not going to get the benefit of sharing the kind of human-readable form of Cucumber with anybody, doing it just for developers is not worth it because it's a lot of overhead as well of that. So for anybody who is watching who has a question for Julie, you can tweet with the hashtag N-G-A-I-R, N-G-A-I-R, and we'll ask it near the end of the show. I do have a couple in the, in the hopper from Ville, uh, so we'll ask those now. Um, his first one is, uh, Karma seems to have unbroken its build pipeline. It no longer has, quote, Karma transform. Um, I'm not sure if uh, he meant broken or unbroken there, but... Uh, I am not... So I'm not actively working on Karma right now. Um, I do know some of the devs who are actively working on it. Um, they would like me to tell you that they are working on 1.0. Um, I don't know a lot about Karma Transform. I imagine that that's sort of the um, attempting to split, to to focus what Karma does on watching your test files and running your tests, as opposed to having it also duplicate your build process, um, which I mentioned earlier. I think it's much better to have your build process be your build process and have it output something that Karma can consume and, and do its job well, but not try to do everything. Okay. And then he also asks, uh, does Protractor have public APIs for use with non-Protractor end-to-end testing, uh, like when used over C-sharp, a Selenium web driver? So I wonder if this is asking about using different Selenium bindings. Um, so there's... So 
Projector is built on top of WebDriver. What WebDriver is doing um, under the hood is your test process is running in a separate process from, from your browser and your application code, and the communication between those is through a WebDriver protocol, which is working to become a um, web standard, um, and, and that protocol can be used from test code in any language. So you, uh, Java is really popular, C-sharp also popular, et cetera. Um, we are working to create a proxy that will handle the weighting aspects of what Protractor does. So a big part of what Protractor does is um, before any action your test takes that could modify the page or is waiting for a response, it'll ask Angular to wait until the page is stabilized. Um, currently, Protractor does that in your test code basically via wrapping things in JavaScript. Um, but we would like to move all of that logic into a proxy server that will be able to handle it with cleaner stack traces, more reliably, better logging. Um, and we're going to call that the blocking proxy, and uh, we are working on that at the moment. And then if you have that proxy, you'll be able to use that no matter what your test code is written in. So if you want to write your tests in Java because, say, your web server is in Java and it makes more sense there, um, you'll still be able to use that proxy and get those benefits. I'm curious whether you've used, like, there's a couple tools, um, testing tools that we were talking about before the show. And I'm curious if you've, you know, looked at them and whether um, compared them to, you know, Karma in particular, these would be comparable to, uh, and seeing where, even if you weren't going to integrate to them like that, you would be able to maybe take some of their best practices. So one of the more popular ones that's gained a lot of traction recently is AVA. Uh, have you ever heard of that? I have not used AVA, but I have like read through their their stuff, and I think they're doing a lot of cool things. Um, and I, I hope it's actually pronounced AVA. Um, yeah, I think you're probably right. Take, I, I, taking I, a I, shot in the dark there. <laughs> um, so I, uh, AVA, um, for those who haven't used it, it it's a test runner. Um, I think that it's very opinionated and it knows what it's doing and has a smaller scope and gets a lot of benefit from that. So things that I think are really cool about it, um, it is only running tests via Node. So there's no browser element to things. So that's fairly limiting if you're doing something like, if I was testing a component, I would want to test it in actual browsers um, and being able to verify cross-browser compatibility. But they do get a lot of benefits from that. Um, tests are super fast. They can run in parallel um, and make things even more super fast. And they particularly are, um, are pushing for you know I/O um, being really fast at, at tests that have to do a lot of I/O operations. Um, so I think it's really interesting for server-side tests from that. Um, they're strongly integrated with Babel, and they're making good use of the async and await. ECMAScript 7 um, syntax, which I mentioned before that we're really excited for in, in Protractor. Um, we haven't integrated it yet because this is still like very future JavaScript, but I, I like that Ava is sort of banking on that and saying this is how you should do your async tests, and they're going to integrate really well with Babel so you can use that right away. Um, and, and they're very opinionated about that, and I think that's really cool. Um, another thing that they're doing that's interesting is we talked a lot about making sure your tests fail and that being difficult when you're like writing asynchronous tests and you're not even sure if parts of it are running if you forget to return a promise or something. Um, and Ava has a 
you can call at the beginning of a test, like, this test should have five assertions. And if we don't have five assertions by the end of this test, something is wrong and we should fail. And I think that's really nifty. And that's a benefit that they get from writing both the test syntax and the test runner together, which is something that tools like Karma don't do, where, where Karma says, I'm the test runner and I'm only the test runner, and you can use Jasmine or Mocha or Cucumber or what other crazy stuff you want for the test syntax as long as it has a plugin that works with this. Um, so that's more generic. It's got a lot of benefits. Ava gets a lot of benefits from saying, we're going to write the whole thing, we're going to be really opinionated about this, and there's only certain things you can do, but we're going to do that really well. Um, so I think it's cool. I'm excited about it. Um, I'm really glad that I think more people doing more stuff with, with making tests better is, is great for everyone. And Julia, I was wondering, um, Jeff, Jeff and I were talking about this before, if you'd used uh, Wallaby.js at all, or seen Wallaby.js. I have not used Wallaby yet. Have you but seen you can, it? You should tell us about it. Right. <laughs> yeah, I'll try and describe it. So. If anybody's in the kind of C-sharp world, there's a tool called ncrunch in C-sharp world, which does something very similar, which will kind of give you, in your IDE, in the same way that you have your kind of git gutter that shows you when you're changing things, what the status is versus your kind of um, git branch. It can do the same thing, but with tests. So Wallaby knows that for each line, these are the, these are the test files which, get, which will be executed when you change certain lines, and it will run those tests in parallel. So as you're actually changing your code in your IDE, if you make a change which breaks the test, it will tell you immediately in the kind of gutter of your IDE, which is really kind of great for that immediate feedback loop. Yeah, that sounds really cool. Yeah. It's one of those things I, I was thinking when you were talking about these kind of build processes and testing, as we're kind of, you know, JavaScript's, get, JavaScript's getting bigger and bigger and bigger when it comes to build processes, and they're taking longer and longer and longer for the, for the most part, although there are some innovations in that space as well. I mean, are you seeing um, any kind of change with like the larger code base, like the Angular 2 code base with now doing big kind of TypeScript compilation and then executing tests, how that feedback loop is changing, how people are kind of interacting with the test cycle at all. Is it changing anything? Yeah, it, um, it's not ideal, right? It, uh, there's a, a big mental difference between tests that take two seconds to run and tests that take like six seconds. I think there's, there's enough in that extra four seconds for you to kind of get distracted and be tempted to go look at Twitter, and then you're looking at Twitter for 20 seconds before you realize that your tests are actually finished. Um, so I think this is something that we do have to think about and work on. Um, most applications won't have the huge size that Angular does. So when, when, you, when you're developing within Angular, um, I'd say it's probably about four seconds if you're focused on one test to rerun it. So it, it's not terrible, but it is long enough that it's becoming a little annoying. Um, if you're developing, Angular also uh, transpiles to Dart. Um, those tests take a little bit longer to run, and I've noticed myself becoming very frustrated with waiting for that whole thing. Um, so I think this is important. I think uh, there's sort of human time limits of a couple seconds in, in how long we will tolerate waiting for something that um, test runners need to take into account. TypeScript is pretty fast. I hope it'll continue to get faster and that this will just become less of a problem. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see in, in a couple of years where we are. Have you noticed that with the use of TypeScript within the Angular repository that that's helped both from you know, internal contributors and external 
help to cut down on some of the issues, like sort of assist with testing because of just the inherent properties with the typed um, compiled to language? Yeah, absolutely. I think you catching a huge class of errors just by having types and, and being able to do static type checking. Um, so there's, you know, a lot fewer errors that end up looking something like blank was undefined or tried to call function x of undefined um, because that's that's all taken care of by the type system. So I, I think it's been a, a huge win for that um, as well as the the productivity that you get from IDEs being able to reason about your code better um, is really big. So it, it's been a huge game. So let's talk about the mis common mistakes that developers often make uh, when they're testing. And, and I'll throw one out there that I've seen all the time. I, I do myself, to be honest, which is um, creating dependencies between your tests that, you know, when, you know, essentially one de test pass or fail depending on the previous one. If you aren't careful about it, that can very easily happen, right? And you, in an ideal case, you want to keep each test kind of isolated. Uh, what are some common mistakes that you see people make a lot? So uh, since I've been focused on end-to-end -end a lot with Protractor, I see people trying to do way too much in their end-to-end -end tests a lot of the time. I see end-to-end -end tests that have like a bunch of if statements and loops, and they're trying to do logic that I really feel like should be taken care of in your unit tests. Um, like testing the, the business logic and edge cases of a form. And that leads to a lot of problems with slow tests, and um, it's, it's difficult to manage the asynchronous control flow of tests when you start introducing like control statements and, and things like if loops. Or, sorry, loops and, and if statements in your tests, right? So um, not, not using unit tests to do business logic and instead relying on end-to-end -end tests is a big red flag that I see a lot. Um, tests that don't fail, ever, we talked about, um, is a, a big problem that I see. So making sure that tests can actually fail. And for Angular specifically, um, I think we, for, for Angular 1, the examples were largely around if you have um, a component, like this is how you can use Angular to compile the component, component and test it using events, like in a unit test. And I think that that led to a lot of tests that were larger than they needed to be because they were trying to test a class, basically, in JavaScript, but all through this you actually have to compile it and run it. So I would like to see more tests where if you're testing just a plain old class, you don't have to turn that class into a component and, and compile the whole component. Just test the business logic of the class as is, um, and then use Angular's helpers for, for component stuff when you actually need those. Yeah, that brings up one point, actually, that uh, Patrick and I were just talking about the other day. You know, namely, when you're building your Angular 2 app, in particular I'm thinking about, I've seen sort of two different philosophies. I mean, there's all sorts of variations, but in how you build your components, that it is kind of nice to have things kind of self-contained. So you have a, in your component, you have it, how it gets all of its data and all, all the functionality when you click on a button or whatever. But then there's this kind of redux thinking, right? Like the where you pull basically everything out of your component, like everything's just in services, like plain JavaScript. And, and for testing, in particular, I've noticed that there's a huge benefit 
there that um, you don't have to necessarily worry about the overhead when it comes to testing of like kind of setting up your component and that type of thing. So do you more prescribe to that second way or, or do you think that it doesn't, it's no big deal that uh, you can test your component just as easily? I think component tests are going to be a tiny bit slower because you actually have to do more instantiation and a little bit more mental overhead than just simply testing one class. So I think it does make sense to pull things with significant logic that you're concerned about into their own services when possible. Again, not yeah. super strict about it, but... Yeah, like uh, Patrick was just commenting, stateless components, that's, that's kind of the word I was looking for, that you have your state somewhere else. And I guess it's sort of along the same, same lines, like dumb components, which is that your uh, component, it sort of bubbles up events that like it, it doesn't actually save the database or whatever else within component. It, it's literally just doing whatever its parent container tells it to do. Mm -hmm. So, okay, cool. So uh, we're getting near the end of our time, and I have kind of just one last uh, question before we get to picks. What do you see as kind of the future of testing, like in the direction with regards to Angular and the stuff that you're working on? What does the future hold? So I think um, asynchronous tests are a big pain, and I think that we're going to see significant improvements in that, hopefully with the zone stuff that's going to land soon, also with async await and, and changes in JavaScript coming up. Um, I think we're going to... Um, Selenium WebDriver is working towards being a stack, becoming more stable. Firefox is working on their own implementations. Microsoft is taking more of a stance and working on their own implementations for, um, for the Edge browser. So I think we're going to see that continuing to march towards, towards being more stable um, and, and more compliant with one spec as things go on. Um, I think for, for, you, for, for sort of testing in, in companies as a whole, we've been seeing this shift from having separate QA teams, which would do like your end-to-end -end testing or run test scripts, to having developers be responsible for writing their own unit tests, but also their own integration tests. Um, and this is something that, that Google's been doing for a while, um, and I think other companies are, are starting to do it to various degrees. I think that makes a lot of sense. I think people who write code should write their own tests. They're in the best position to do that. Um, and I think that that's been working out and will probably continue as a larger trend. Cool. Great. All right. Let's get to picks. But actually, let me quickly mention that uh, there are two great shows coming up next week. Patrick and I are on the spot to talk about Angular Universal. We're going to have on a lot of the other team members who work with us on the project. So that should be a fun show. And right after that, the next week, April 5th, we're going to have on the awesome Steve Standerson, who is the creator of Knockout.js and is now uh, works heavily with ASP.NET and the integration of Angular 2 into ASP.NET. Uh, so that's going to be really be a really fun show as well. But let's get to picks, starting off with Patrick. Yeah, so uh, my first pick is Zone.js. There was a major API change um, to fit more of the spec, if you don't know. Um, Zone.js is now stage one for the language. So hopefully Zone will be integrated in, in JavaScript 
Uh, and just speaking of Universal, there, there's a significant number of bugs that got submitted for us that was related to this particular change, so we're, we're yeah. happy to see this for, for sure. Yeah, so um, the, my other pick is um, how to test RxJS. Um, it's a blog post showing that you could test um, RxJS and your asynchronous flow using a marble diagram, essentially. You could say, like, dash, dash, you know, x, dash, x, and then should expect this flow to happen. It's pretty cool. Um, and then the, the chaos monkey that we talked about earlier, um, a blog post about Netflix now talking about it, and gremlins.js, which is very similar, um, where you could send gremlins at your application to, you know, stress test it. Cool. Thanks, Patrick. Ed. Ed, you're muted. Sorry. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, so... Um, my first pick is what I talked about earlier. It's Wallaby.js. So that's kind of instant test feedback straight in your IDE. Um, my second pick is a bit of a shameless self-promotion plug. Um, it's a project called Angular Multimox, which is something I contribute to, which is um, provides an easy way to kind of configure different server responses. And you can do that at runtime. So if you're executing a kind of protractor test, you can say, um, you know, forward slash my page, question mark, scenario equals server failure, and then the, that page will kind of give you back a set of 500s or whatever. Um, and then my last pick is another shameless self-promotion plug um, for Angular Connect. So um, we've got the scholarships are kind of currently open, so if anybody is look, wants to come but feels like they can't quite afford the price, at the minute, then we've got some scholarships that you can apply for. Um, and on top of that, I'd also like to kind of, the CFPs are still open, and we'd, we'd like to get some more CFPs in if we can. Um, and particularly, we'd really love to see some CFPs from some women as well. In Angular oh, Connect is one of my favorite conferences. So definitely, uh, if you do have the chance to go, I would recommend it as well. For my picks, I got a couple. I watched the movie finally straight out of Compton. And uh, like one of my favorite movies, that, it was awesome. Like I don't know if uh, you're like me. I was I was big into rap actually as a kid. It, it may not seem like that, but uh, it, and it just brought back a lot of memories of like stuff living live, growing up in the '80s. Uh, so it's awesome movie. Highly recommend it. Also, uh, I know Ville is listening, so I'm I'm actually recommending an article that he came out with this past week with the latest TypeScript, you may not need Webpack. Just talking about in Webpack 1.8, uh, the ability to generate uh, a JavaScript package uh, for simple use cases, um, but it is really useful. So there's certain people that you, know, you don't have to necessarily use, something like Webpack. And then finally, um, my boy Gleb Bamatov uh, was speaking at the New York, I think it was, oh no, it was a web performance meetup, and he talked about service workers. So we're actually going to have Minko and Gleb on in like four weeks, I think, near the end of April to talk about service workers. So there's a lot of really cool stuff there, and uh, we're going to have a really good discussion on that. But um, I'll, I'll post the link for to his service worker talk so you can get kind of like a taste of that before we have him on our show. And that's it for me. Uh, Julie, do you have any picks for us? Sure. So my first one is the Angular Material 2 project, which is, you know, by Angular Core. Um, these are the material design components, is in alpha. So there are, I believe, six components that are ready to go and take a look at. Um, but more specific to what we've been talking about, 
um, the Angular Material 2 project is trying to be a sort of model library, so model of like what library tests would look like, what a component library for Angular 2 actually look like. So go uh, take a look at not just their components, but their code and how they're doing tests and everything. And that's going to continue to evolve, but I think it's a, it's a really cool example project. Um, and then another sort of random little thing I had was a project by the Seattle Times, which is a really nifty website about the Elwa River, which is river up here in Washington that they did a dam removal on. Um, so I'm really interested in, like, biology stuff. It's really cool. It's really pretty. Um, and I really like when media companies, old traditional media, are, are getting into, like, this web thing and doing neat projects that, that um, don't just look like traditional articles. So that's the Seattle Times uh, Elwood Dam Removal Project. Cool. Thank you very much, Julie, for coming. It's been really insightful. Uh, you know, I, I love testing. I love hearing about testing. So it's great to uh, get the latest, especially in my mind, the biggest takeaways that I am kind of excited to work on right after this is kind of, uh, well, once it hits is, is the zone stuff and, you know, uh, having the ability to, with the new DI system you know, to make things a lot cleaner if, uh, when you do use Karma. So uh, everybody who's listening should go out there and start writing some tests. Thanks a lot. Have a good one. Great. See you next Thanks week. Thanks for having me. All right. See you.